Hello and welcome to Statsbomb Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted, Hot Topic Knutson. Hot Topics, Ted, is that where we're at? It's not usually our, our thing, you know. We usually kind of talk after the fact and reasoned type analysis, but today we're recording right after the Champions League draw. Yeah, Pure Chance recording on a Monday, and uh, yeah, the Champions League draws just literally come out about 10 minutes ago. And cracking bunch of ties, it looks like, Ted. I, I, there's barely a duffer amongst them. Um... Uh, all the English teams, well, three English teams have got German teams. Man United, PSG, mm, looks like a bit of a mismatch, I'd say. Well, I, I think the two Manchester teams are, are sort of the duffer ones, um, just because Manchester United have been bad and PSG have been really great, which probably means that that time might be interesting. And then uh, Schalke Man City also is uh, is a bit scruffy. Like, Schalke have had a really poor year so far. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to be fair, I guess Roma... Porto is Porto have been really outstanding actually. Yeah, and, yeah. and Roma have been I don't even know how to describe them. <laughs> mixed mixed back. But yeah, I mean uh, Tyler Rao's got to be Liverpool Bayern, I think, just because uh you know that's a <laughs> that's about as good as it gets really in. It's true. No, that I mean that's, that's an epic tie. I think that one's that one's huge. Um and uh, and your boys have uh, have quite a spicy one too. They do, yeah. I mean, and Tottenham and Dortmund are interesting because they're both they're both. I mean, okay, Dortmund are crushing uh, crushing the Bundesliga at the moment, but they're still this odd team that you need, kind of need working out. They're not the kind of behemoth that Bayern are, you know. So you, I still I don't like a few people. I've already seen reactions are like oh, and a Dortmund. You know, don't know about that. I'm I'm okay about playing Dortmund. I think you know Tottenham and Dortmund have got similar kind of similar kind of footballing profiles this season well i think that you know digging into this we'll we'll do these sort of a, on a match by match ones the ones that we don't know a whole lot we'll skip over um digging into this i think dortmund are the opposite of how german teams have been in recent times so for for a long time germany has been like the the bundesliga especially the the hyper pressing league so like lots of gig and pressing lots of high tempo lots of counter-attacking uh pep even picked up a lot of stuff on the counter-attack based off of the the loss uh, to bayern in the champions league and then coming to to that league and saying that he needed to readjust how he did things he also adjusted his press a bit after facing schmidt uh and schmidt's salzburg team during a during a break uh, a winter break where that salzburg team stomped bayern and stomped ajax and everybody was like huh that's unexpected. Um, <laughs> so the the reason why Dortmund are different is because Favre doesn't fucking do that outside of the counter, and and the counter stuff it seems like it might, might be later. And so like they're they're not the typical thing like where England has actually moved towards that German pressing style. Um, you know, this is an onion that you're going to have to figure out and peel. And and. Spurs kind of have the ability to do that, you know. They they're a bit more flexible. It doesn't seem like they have any real Achilles heel type styles. Um, it'll be it'll be intriguing there because like it's it's two very good managers that are facing each other. Yeah, and funny you should say about pressing in Germany. I did I did some preliminary like look at because like, obviously we collect pressure events at starts bottom and stuff. And uh, yeah, Bundesliga is like it's, it's it's slightly off the other big three, five leagues for general pressure events. And uh, these days these days the old Premier League. Is probably the most active of those of the five leagues, but you know that can that can change over time. But yes, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, the football evolves, and I think we're seeing that definitely. And Dortmund are kind of rep- kind of leading that charge, maybe of like you know a kind of new new ideas going on in Germany, um, slightly away from what they've you know done in the past. I think another way to look at this is that they're um, these are two teams that are not quite 
XG powerful. They, yeah. they, they might be overperforming their underlying numbers for reasons. Um, Lucien Favre actually is a warlock. You know, the uncertainty about, about Sean Dyche <laughs> is there, but, but like Favre 100% is. And, uh, and, and Spurs this year, as you've mentioned, you know, have, have not managed to, to perform high in the XG stuff, but they are grinding out results very well. I, I mean, an open question here is where the hell are they playing the home matches? Um, I think that there's thoughts that the stadium will be open by then. They had, they had a test. They had, well, not a test day, but they had a like kind of come and visit the stadium day this weekend. So, um, I think yeah, this, this is going to be like late February, isn't it? I think that would be that would be pretty cool, right? Like mm. breaking the new stadium and the Champions League knockout rounds with a uh, with a pretty good tie. The I was at the Arsenal Dortmund match ages ago um, at the Emirates, and I was right above the Dortmund fans, and it was an awesome fan experience for there. So like that would be a fun one too to to bring to the new White Hart Lane or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, I don't think I'm not sure it's got a name yet. Back to Liverpool buying quickly. Liverpool buying is why do I want to see Liverpool buying right now? Because this is this is the new order versus the old order. You know the whole. Idea idea that uh, Bayern and Real and Barcelona aren't quite the teams they might have been in other seasons. <laughs> Clearly you haven't asked any Liverpool fans. This is the old order versus the old order. Right, the old, old order. <laughs> they're, both, they're both the old, old order. If we're talking about like... You oh, know, we're talking of, about modern times. Yeah, like recent history. Like Liverpool, Man City teams that are kind of on the rise and, you know, looking like... They, one of these teams needs, needs to win a Champions League to, to kind of like fully get the baton uh, passed over but um, yeah any tie like that is, is you know really appetite <laughs> appetite wetting really it's uh, it's exactly what we want to see and uh, yeah I wouldn't write Bayern off at all there I mean who would but yeah I mean Liverpool as we as we saw again yesterday are well capable of uh, demolishing teams and you know their run to the we'll final. We'll get to season. that. The run to Trust the final last we'll season was that. Uh, represented that as well. What else have we got here? Ajax, Real. Um, yeah. So Ajax <laughs> have been really good this year, and yeah. actually that Dutch league is dumb. Like the two big teams in that league are both plus fifty goal difference after sixteen matches. Like they, the the goal numbers and the XG numbers and everything coming out of that for the elite teams. Are like hugely suspect in how they'll translate elsewhere because the rest of the league is bad. Yeah, really um, hard so to like, handle. But that. IX have been good. Yeah, and Real Madrid have not been good. I mean, was they take five shots the, last week or something, and they only edged in one nil win against, against yes. Levante at the week, and it's just they don't seem they've not fixed themselves under Solari. And uh, I mean, there's there's enough time for them to remedy that, and it'd be interesting to see if they do actually go into the transfer market. Uh, in January I'm not sure that's something they've necessarily uh, been prolific at but having had such a mediocre season that you know it's probably a little bit of pressure behind the scenes to to up, up their talent level some somewhere <laughs> they managed to grind through their group but I feel like the world needs a palate cleanser from Real Madrid right now like some sort of like spicy you know um cleansing acid to just get rid of the the Ronaldo era like let them be bad this year and then you'd be like all right they're vaguely interesting now that they were so bad uh but yeah I, I'm very happy to see IX uh, win that and actually um I was at a conference and I talked to somebody from PSV and uh, and they were telling me that like the PSV people you know kind of quietly are rooting for IX in uh in Europe because it, it really helps their their coefficient and <laughs> and makes the league better and also like there's there's like more profit sharing and stuff going on in uh, in the Dutch league as well, so that's pretty 
I don't know. It was intriguing, you know. That's a good point. Yeah, we touched on this before about like the kind of you know the lack of uh, diversity outside the big five leagues within the Champions League, and you know, so yeah, any any club from any country that is getting getting to this stage uh, that is outside the big five leagues, you know, yeah, the whole country should should at least at least in some regard. We're not asking everyone to discard fan lo- fan loyalties or anything, but at least in some regard, kind of root for the the greater good. And uh, yeah, Ajax have flown the flag certainly. So this we should season. talk about the punch in the face. Face tie of this uh, of this particular round. Which one's which one's that? I can see. You tell me which one is that. Look at the number, the, the the data on there. Which one is two teams consisting of punching each other in the face for the most part? Um, well, um, go on, you say. I'm not. I'm confused. Of which uh, your Madrid definition. and Juventus are basically the two teams that are like, <laughs> all right, we're going to be really strong defensively. And then yeah. we're going to take you apart on the counterattack or with like some elite skill and maybe a little bit of set pieces, possibly. See, I was thinking Leon Barcelona is a kind of like just. No, like no, no. We'll talk about that. High That's activity favorite... kind of punching in the face kind that of. That one thing. is my favorite tie of the round. <laughs> but, but Atletico Madrid versus Juventus, like Atletico are miserable to play against. Juventus are miserable to play against. They're both vampires. Like they're never fucking dead. You have to like stake them cut their head off, burn them, and then hope that they don't come back late in the tie, which seems to happen far too regularly. It's yeah, it's kind of one you want to watch from afar a little bit, isn't it? Or maybe if you're an aspiring coach, it's not it's not like the the fans pick, is it? You're not guaranteed any goals in this tie at all. <laughs> it could be it could be quite grim. Literally just six Cristiano Ronaldo shots and then nothing else in the entire <laughs> entire fixture. But like, can can Ronaldo score from twenty twenty two meters out, like sort of on a on a break? Uh, that, that'll be the difference of the tie. Or can can Atletico Madrid, you know, fall down in the right area, maybe get a direct free kick a couple of corners and, and grind it out that way the answer is yes they can and they've done it before but, but again um, that's a that's a good like you say that's a, it's a nice a nicely balanced matchup which is um you know what you kind of ask for ask from these these games you know you don't want them to be all uh you know big big team versus little team and you do want a big a few good ties and like leon barcelona is, is exactly that really isn't it obviously barcelona going to that as favorites and people will just look at that and probably discount leon a little bit unfairly because look at what leon did in the group stage against manchester city yeah they're very capable they're both games they played well against manchester city and um you know they, they the, the style of play that they they bring to the table will well, certainly test Barcelona, I think, and and that's that's probably a closer tie than the kind of you know you probably think at first look. <clears throat> well, I, I think that midfield might be a mismatch, and that's that's like the most interesting element of it for me. Like, can can Barcelona cope with uh, with Leon's midfield this time around? Obviously, Leon have to cope with Messi, and that's impossible <laughs> on his best days. Yeah. But, but like, there's a real chance that, that that Barcelona midfield has not been rebuilt well enough in order to to cope with the youth and the strength and and like you know, just the general quality of, of Lyon. So like, don't discount that one. Now, obviously, it's going to be like five 0 Barcelona, and you know, because I'm excited by it. But uh, yeah, that's. that's uh, yeah, I mean, well, funny enough, yeah. But just looking at both of them in the group stages, had um, not pre- impressive defensive numbers uh, through through. Uh, through that so that yeah it could be but Leon had a tough group yeah they did they did it could be Hoffenheim City and Shakhtar going to Shakhtar (laughs) that's a it's a very difficult set of ties there it could be Barcelona don't have great defense this season anyway yeah it could be a bit of a bit of a kind of slugfest that one but yeah slugfest what have we missed what have we missed yeah well I mean let's talk about (laughs) so what do you expect from the Manchester United PSG match James Uh, a replay of last night (laughs) yeah that could it, it could actually just be just annihilation, couldn't it? 
Like, not not being mean or joking or something. You know, the, the current like what, how effective Man United have been in recent, in recent weeks. You know, just it just doesn't. You don't. <laughs> if you fear for them against a, a team as as fluid and um and potentially as aggressive as uh, PSG, it's just. Well, I mean, there's a little bit of who's healthy uh, about that, but but basically, you know, the PSG's league is done. Uh, they're they're done already. Um, they, they've, they've been so dominant in there. They dropped, what, two points for the first mm. 16, 17 matches that that one's finished. But the, the bigger thing to me is, you know, if, if Mourinho, uh, again, we'll talk about this in a bit, but if Mourinho doesn't get fired this week, and I'm not saying that anybody should do anything, but I'm saying if he stays through this week after getting absolutely tonked by traditional rivals Liverpool, then, you know, he could be there for this tie. Mm. And and he could stick around and, and they might just sort of ride out the season and, and wait for the, the right talent to be available in the summer or who knows. But so, yeah, that like if Mourinho is around and PSG are are healthy with the, the, the guys that they want to be involved in this tie, it could very much end up being last night. Yeah. And um, interestingly on Mourinho, someone noted that it was this, today, the 17th of December, uh, that is the anniversary of his departure from Chelsea for the second time. So he got this far that season. He's got this far this season, and it's not been pretty in places. But you know, <laughs> we continue. I think the Premier. Well, they're they're what sixth in the Premier League right now. Yeah, and and like sixth looking downwards rather than sixth looking upwards. So, you know, there's 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 five teams within a win of them below below them. City Schalke, any opinions? Not really. Um, I, I, you know, Schalke, like you say, haven't had a great season, and they did okay to get through their group and stuff. But you just see, you fancy you'd have City as favourites versus mm, the majority of teams on this list, and Schalke are certainly near the bottom of that list. Uh, so, yeah, I think that's like the easiest tie that they probably could have ended up with. Um, uh, the big thing for Schalke is like they just don't have much in the way of attack this year. The, the defense is around average as well. Average for the Bundesliga is not terribly impressive, and they've gotten smushed by the entire top half of the table. Almost all of Schalke's results have come from teams that are 10th or worse. Uh, so, yeah, not expecting much from that one. Yeah, it's, it's weird, isn't it? Their group wasn't... They had Porto in their group and Moscow and Galatasaray, but, yeah, it's, it's weird. They're, they're almost like the one team that's kind of snuck snuck through a little bit. Uh, there's, a, there's always one, but, yeah, I think... Yeah, man, so you can't can't fear Schalke at all. Should we, should we move on, Ted? I mean, absolutely cracking bunch of ties. We've got months to wait for them now, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we get one day to be excited, and then you have to wait three more months to be excited again. <laughs> this is it, but it's uh, yeah, nice nice to think of these uh, these matches coming up. The, the weekend, the weekends uh, at the Premier League. I mean, you watched a, I, I watched quite a lot one way or another, but um, we uh, I think we both watched a fair bit on Sunday. And there were some some events on Saturday as well. Uh, where do you want to start, Ted? What, what's took your eye out of this weekend's football? Uh, well, let's talk about the Kosielny match because that's what I've officially dubbed this game from yesterday. I, basically, Arsenal Arsenal went into this match with three unfit centre backs, and he ended the match with two unfit centre backs, and uh, and and three goals against all off of headed crosses. Which, yeah, you know, if if you were to predict. The way that a game would go with three unfit centre backs, <laughs> it would be exactly like this. Yeah, it was a bit, it, it, it. It was an interesting game in that regard because, like, yeah, all three of those were um, 
Especially, I think the second one is one of those headers that you, you just get your head on it and hope it goes goes in the right place and it just looped into the back of the it, net. It was, yeah. If, if that's skill, then that's beautiful. Uh, <laughs> you know, you're like, why don't you do that more often? Because it's very difficult. But it, it was kind of amazing sitting there and watching it and being terrified every time a cross comes in because usually that style of play you're like this isn't a problem for us like you know we just you bounce the ball back out clean up the crosses get the ball run back to the other side that is not how this game worked <laughs> i was um yeah i mean i i want to i want to highlight something because you look immediately you're looking for the hassan hootle effect like what's he doing and if we collect pressure events at stats bomb and to be fair, Southampton haven't been haven't been like inactive this season. You know, even under Hughes, that they've recorded like a decent volume at times. Uh, yesterday's volumes were were fine. They were on the high side, but not insanely high. So it's like, well, what's like everyone reported afterwards? Like, look at the look at how they're pressing. Look how they're working hard, and they were. And I think I filtered it to out of yeah out of because we have pressure durations as well <laughs> and um out of every out of, out of however many teams like 30 odd teams that had um pressed i think in the opposition half over 100 times in a game like Southampton were one of them obviously yesterday so it was like that's good that's that's seeing some someone on the charge but the durations were longer than any other team by a significant margin and um the average duration that is and it's like right there we go straight away so they're not they're not just um randomly running around like idiots they it feels like they they targeted their press high up and stuck at it and just harangued arsenal and they did create chances that way red redmond in particular i remember uh, robbing robbing someone high up and uh, kind of whizzing through and it's that's good to see because you know it's so nice to isolate like manager effects quickly in data and um it felt like we saw that yesterday from from Southampton and they they must be better than the the sum of their parts they must be yeah well they i mean they're better than their results i think is well, the way yeah. to put it um and and the Mark Hughes effect is is also a legitimate effect uh pretty pretty strong indicators at this point that you know he's not one of the better managers in the league um, I literally had a tweet yesterday talking about Redmond's like terrible shot locations and how I was intrigued to see if those are going to start to change because you know if you can rely on him just to shoot from range all the time, uh, he's much easier to defend and, and Southampton become much easier to defend. And like within five seconds or ten seconds after I tweeted that, he had that cross that 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 sort of like baby inside cross that uh, I think the second goal. Uh, mm-hmm. for Southampton. I was like, well, timing as usual. <laughs> At least I said something positive as opposed to something negative. But, you know, if, as they change, and, and Redmond looked like he was pretty spry in sort of an inside forward rule and not necessarily a wide outside forward rule, uh, as they change their sort of um, the composition of their attack and, and adjust things in, in just like slightly positive ways, it feels like they've got enough talent to to compete at a much higher level. Hmm. What's your thoughts about Arsenal on this? I mean, just to quickly go there, it feels like Arsenal have had this kind of game like frequently this season, where like in, on the balance of chances, um, it could go either way. Yeah, it's 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 fallen Arsenal's way time and time again. It it doesn't really surprise me, despite their long unbeaten run, that they have actually uh, found themselves just you know shift fortune or circumstance is going to see yourself end up on the wrong side of this kind of result now and again if the balance of chances is is so reliably even 
I think that it plays into all of the narratives that we flagged up earlier in the season. You're just seeing them biting a little bit. And I'm not saying that, you know, we said the Dortmund at the same time seemed to be overperforming. They haven't stopped overperforming. So whatever. But like Emery Nice's team never really has a history of overperforming the, the, the goals models. Um, <clears throat> whereas Lucien Favre, again, Warlock. So the Arsenal thing, like, what are we seeing here, right? We, we see the holding injury plus the, the cards for Mustafi and Socrates, like dumb cards, meant that they were abandoned at center back. And their defense is already a bit shaky. Uh, so that's a problem. And then Bert Leno, who had, had been overperforming his historic margins by quite a lot and you know we tweeted out that he'd been very good so far slightly surprisingly so because we'd looked at his info from the past and also had scouted him in the past and been like huh this isn't quite the same player and then yesterday he goes flapping for a cross that he misses and that's the that's the winning goal so it's not it's not surprising and arsenal have rarely dominated and when when they haven't dominated, usually it's been the defensive side that has kind of let them down. They've they had a good attack. These are all the things that you know were flagged up early in the season. You look at the goals against for for the league for like the top six teams, right? It's seven for Liverpool, uh, ten for City, sixteen for Tottenham, fourteen for Chelsea, yeah. and then you take a big step. Whereas Arsenal are only three points back at Chelsea, but they've given up twenty three goals, and then you get Manchester United at twenty nine goals and twenty nine goals for so. So like you know, it's it's not a big surprise. We'll see if they manage to stabilize that. That Spurs game was the first time they've looked really dominant against a good team this year. Um, you know, if they can play that way consistently with you know the <laughs> their better defenders in in the lineup, you know, it's going to be a very interesting second half of the season. If they can't, they'll fall back a bit and they'll end up in the Europa League spots. Yeah, it's funny. Spurs are now five ahead of Arsenal again, and it's just it just it just shows you know, how. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> a week goes by, and it's like, oh, hang on a minute, this was close, wasn't it? No, no, not anymore. And um, yeah, it's it's just funny how it how it evolves it evolves so quickly, and will evolve ever so quickly with Christmas coming. Um, who else? Have we, who else have we got? Well, we've got to talk about Liverpool, Man United, really, because um, that was uh, a. <laughs> It was a beatdown in in shot volume, certainly, um, if not quite shot quality. Uh, Liverpool just felt like we had uh, Liverpool of, of last season back a little bit, but also that like one team turned up to that game with the intent of uh, overpowering the other team and did. And yeah, yeah, uh, that was very clear. Like this, this match was not close at most of the time. Uh, there was probably a lull in the middle of it uh, as like Liverpool were settling for shots a bit from range and United were not creating shots at all, like desperately just trying to, to defend. But I think what we saw yesterday was, you know, <laughs> from a banter perspective, Allison had just been crowned like the best goalkeeper in the league. Yeah, yeah. Obviously gives, gives up a, a goofy goal on a, on a misclaimed low cross. Um, but beyond that, like, Liverpool are just miles and miles ahead of Manchester United, and it was absolutely clear. I said that beforehand because I was, all I saw was these worries from Liverpool fans before this game. Oh, I don't know about this. It's like you're at home. You're much better than Man United. Don't worry about history. History's not important here. It's fucking Man United, lads. <laughs> and they <laughs> crushed them, really. And that's, I mean, yeah, it does, it does kind of... It, it, that... that Encapsulated the two team season really in in one in one game quite aptly, and I think one of the should I say worrying depends on your perspective. Uh, uh, one of the interesting things uh, about Liverpool uh, was that we're finally starting to see their summer midfield uh, in effect with yeah. Fabinho and 
Cater playing. They were all over the place. And now that they're there and you see the pace and you see how difficult they are to deal with and you see how like Cater can just move the ball at will kind of when he wants to, it's that is some slick, slick midfield passing there. Like I've got nothing against people like Jordan Henderson or Mil- Milner or something, but you know, if if you if you if you just imagine the absolute best uh, Liverpool midfield with their summer signings playing at their absolute best, and then you realise that they've they've hardly played and they're unbeaten on top of the league, it's um if there's a gear that Liverpool can find uh, somewhere that that will will elevate them and keep them along in this title race, then possibly that's the that's the last key to the to the jigsaw there I'd, yeah well, they I mean, just have so many weapons and it, what was interesting is like Salah's been more moved into a bit of a central forward role uh, but as part of that that means that they're playing more of the uh, people are calling it a midfield diamond like for me it's more of the traditional kind of Hoffenheim pressing style they can do which is a 2-2-2 as opposed to a you know a, a midfield diamond uh, the, it just means that the, the two central midfielders that are in the second two are the ones that end up splitting wide and in this case, that ends up being Mane and, and Keita. Um, and then you play two at the back that, that tend to be a bit more stable so that you can still disrupt and destroy, but you've got the higher pressing guys there. It's a very different system than you see Pep would play, but is uh, also quite a bit different than, than Sarri's press too. I think you know beyond this match, which was quite impressive, and, and if, you're not, if you're a Liverpool fan or a neutral, like it was pretty intriguing to watch. The difference in the table right now is 19 goal or 19 points between these two and plus 30 goal difference. Like how big of a swing is that compared to say 2013? That's just absolutely enormous. And 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 some of the questions are like how did this happen? And and for me, I'm looking at it less so I mean obviously Liverpool got smart and they hired one of the best managers out there and they they have this unbelievable record recently of of just signing really good players. And I'm not going to, you know, we're not out there working for a team, but we have recommended many of these players as well as, as, you know, if you had the means to do so, these would be top choices. So we've kind of been alongside of them. Uh, I'm looking at this though. And like, how do you fix Manchester United? Like, what do you do in order to fix them? Because right now they're broken. Uh, they, they, you can't, you can argue with it. They are broken. You know what? They're, I don't think they've moved, they've, um, effect, they haven't effectively transitioned from 2013 onwards. Um, a lot of their signings have been like a kind of star focused. They haven't. Uh, Liverpool just represent exactly what you think would be, if you you know if you just had carte blanche over a team. This is what you do. You you develop an ethos. You'd get a manager. You'd sign him up for the long term. And you'd say right, we're going to do this, and we're going to buy buy the right players for your system. And we're going to work with that. Man United still feel like a hodgepodge of about four different managers worth of signings playing different, different subtly different styles, and. Uh, <laughs> It still amazes me how many people, how many people, are, how many players are still like left over from the kind of Ferguson era that are, are still kind of getting regular minutes despite not necessarily being, you know, absolutely top top of the tree. Kind of like you or know, or just like- the immediate Moyes era, right? Like that that one year afterwards. So like you're looking at, I'm looking at their age weighted minutes that we've got on uh, on IQ right now, and like Ashley Young and Valencia are still in in and around the squad. They're 33. Uh, you don't have like the the much older ones like Giggs or even Carrick or, or those guys still hanging around, but you know you've got Fellaini and and Mata yeah getting a good chunk of minutes. You got Matic and and Alexis Sanchez. Matic getting a lot of minutes. Um, Anders in there. Darmian. Marcus Rojo's twenty nine. Like I just kind of forgot about that. 
uh, DDG at 28, right? But then you get like actually a pretty good chunk at the 26 range. So like you've got Lukaku, Pogba, Lingard, and Fred, uh, whatever you think of Fred. Uh, Phil Jones now 27 doesn't play much. Eric Bailey, you know, it looks like he's been pretty good when he's played to, to be honest, but you know, not that many. And then you're like down in the Lindelof range, uh, Shaw, Martial, Pereira, like that's in the 23. So like, it's not necessarily, uh, they're, they're too old, although some, in some cases they are, but it's just, it doesn't match up to like what these other teams are doing. Like what, where's the danger, right? Where's the pace? Where's the, where's the problems that, that they're creating? You just can't. It's so hard to like just um, like imagine like Man United's best team these days. And in the old, I mean, the, the best teams. In fact, even in even in the modern squad game, you know, the, the literally best teams in the world, you can pretty much pick their starting eleven, or you know, out of thirteen, fourteen players, you can pick a starting eleven. And you can set it up in a kind of formation that you understand, and you know, that they're going to play. And I think that I mean something I said before the match yesterday was like. Um, well, I might know, might have been during the match, but like Mourinho doesn't even mud up these games anymore. He used to, so like you can't even say like, right, okay, he's going to turn up and, and turn it into a kind of like I'm going for a nil nil because he doesn't seem have, doesn't seem to be able to do that anymore. And it's like, well, no game control whatsoever yesterday. Yeah, and that's no. been going on all season. Like this you know. season, we've we've talked about it. even against like teams that are not Liverpool. Their shot numbers they just give up a lot of shots, which means you just don't have any game control in the center of the pitch. Wolves have a better game control than than Manchester United do this year. And that also tells you a lot, because like, Wolves do not have the same quality talent, but for whatever reason... But you know, they do have a system, and, they, yep. and, they, and they've stuck to their system, the same system that brought them up. They, if, if anything, they've become slightly more defensive this season, but they have, they have a distinct idea of how they're going to play and how they're going to set up, and they stick to it. And I think, yeah, I mean, you look at all the top teams now, and you can kind of identify their identities basically of like how they're going to approach the approach a game and um yeah less so with man united sure from different sport perspective um uh, i want to give a little context around united like united are very rich and they you know by far the richest team in england obviously city can spend more but if you look at revenue if you look at like the gap in commercial income it's it's just stupidly weighted towards united um, that will change if they are not good for a while. Like regardless of how good the commercial deals are, you know, new fans are born from uh, you know, following the winners. And in fact, you know, other fans. Like, I, I talked to some of the Liverpool guys in the past who have podcasts, and they're like, "Oh, it's so much better when we win. Like we get so much more more traction, and people want to buy stuff, and people listen to us, and whatever." And that, that's like naturally true too, right? The commercial revenue goes up if you're a winner. Um, but so like the danger for Manchester United is right now. They feel like the Yankees at the the early part of the Billy Bean era, where uh, Billy Bean's like talking them on the field, and or he's building like at least as good a lineup for a hundred million less. Hmm. Um, Masters United have a lot of that going on, and what happens with the Yankees at that point is that. Brian Cashman figures out the analytics thing is a big deal and he goes out and he spends and he ends up with like more analysts than anybody else in the league. They're, they're like very statistically focused. They've got their own research. They're doing stuff. And, and the Yankees gradually progress back to the point, even with the salary cap league, where like their, you know, the scale of their, their difference in revenue really matters again. And they don't have to spend as much as they, they used to before. They, they're able to just dominate on a scale of, of like the, the revenue. If you look at the the league right now, the danger for Manchester United is Liverpool are smart. Manchester City are probably smart and they've got Pep. Tottenham are well run, 
Um, you know, there, there, there are questions about like how smart the recruitment is, but who knows? Arsenal are smart behind the scenes and seem to be making some, you know, more towards the Liverpool style signings where they're they're hitting on a, on a regular amount again, which hadn't necessarily happened as much in the Wenger era. The two teams that, that don't seem to have that level of um, coordination in, in everything on the football side are Chelsea and Manchester United, like traditional bigwigs. But if, if Manchester United make another mistake and they get set back another two years and they don't invest massively, like the gains that these big teams will have in Intel and in how they're run, may actually make it difficult for United to catch up even with the massive revenue difference. And that to me is is like the really intriguing spot. Like this moment for United is actually a huge deal. And I wouldn't blame that at all for waiting a little bit longer to kind of figure this out uh, and make the right hires and the right signings and, and the right next manager hire or whatever, because it is crucial that they do so because right now the game's changing a lot. And if you're not on that, that ride, it, you'll get left behind. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, possibly last season paved over the cracks a little bit just because they finished second, qualified for the Champions League. This is, you know, this is fine. It's it, we're not winning, you know, we're not winning a title or whatever it is. But you know, we're we're in the we're, we're in the mix. It creates the illusion you're in the mix when you when you overshoot your numbers by so far and everything looks fine. I mean, this is this is why you should you, you got to you got to kind of plan for these things or or, or consider um, the fact that just. Because you finish high up the league doesn't necessarily mean that you're uh, a good, a good solid unit that's going to do so once more. It's tough, I don't know, they, but yeah, they, they 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 haven't managed yet to transition out of the uh, Ferguson era, and we're like five years on, and that's you know, five years, four managers, or three managers on, and um, yeah, still still questions are being asked about like how to get there. And you look at the you know individually, you look at individually talented players, and you think like there must be must be more more that I can get out of this team but well I have to I have some sympathy for like the recruitment group as well because like how frustrating must it be for for them to actually have a really good first year with Mourinho and then that second year looks like it's good but it's like the same mostly the same group of people and they just see the inputs go way the outputs go way down you're like why did we get worse I don't actually understand why we got worse we didn't even make any changes we have the same manager we have the same team why are we suddenly worse and then this year everything bites and you're like what am I supposed to do about this? And and the answer is probably nothing. It's not your fault. Uh, but it this it just it goes back to this point that you need to be aligned and you need to be aligned from the top and you need to be aligned in execution on the football side that says that we're going to be smart, we're going to make smart decisions, we're going to do smart things, and it's going to go all the way down to the pitch. And if you are not now seeking out gains actively as to how to be more competitive, like this league may leave you behind. Yeah, I think that's where we're at, and it's really interesting. But it, it has to be a little bit scary if you're not there. Yeah, and that's the thing: whether Liverpool win the league or not this season, next season, whenever, uh, the fact that they're like they've um, they're generating uh, success, um, or you know, putting themselves in the mix for success in the method they have, should really be uh, a big wake-up call to literally anyone in the league that isn't literally on top of everything they possibly could do. You know, well, you flagged. You flagged Robertson as like a really interesting signing, and I think you're mm. probably right. Um, but like Shakiri's an obvious interesting signing. Mm. Like from a stats perspective, if you're looking for a cheap guy that is a low risk uh, signing to add depth to your your attacking squad, like Shakiri's fairly obvious. Um, and everybody's like, oh, you know, Shakiri, and we're like, you know, this could actually be really good. And if it's not really good, it's not going to be that bad. 
And and obviously he comes on and he changes a few games and you're like, hey, this guy actually is really good. I'm shocked. You know, you know what? It's the, the last four seasons, Liverpool have um, signed a player off a relegated team, and um, they're not always spent no money on it because Wijnaldum was one. They've bought Ings, Wijnaldum, Robertson, and Shakiri in consecutive seasons. So it's almost as if like you know, it's 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 worth it's worth scouring the teams that go down and actually saying like, right, there, there's got to be one talented guy amongst all these these teams. Let's let's sign him up, and I, I can see Liverpool's people like Shh, James, shut up, <laughs> shut up, James, don't it, tell anybody. It can't be that big a secret, but like, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's 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 worth looking at, and I think something something I've thought about, and I've uh, spoke to you and we worked with uh, um, about this recently it was with Southampton, and you look at Southampton's players, and there's 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 at least a handful of players on that on in Southampton that you think like if they were like part of a bigger squad or you know a a better team they would they would function perfectly okay as as you know part of a larger squad for some reason you know, like Hughes effect whatever it is they're they're not all kind of gelling together at the moment and I think that's it there's I, you know I, I put a call out on the other day saying like you know uh, after that Robertson thing so to say like you know on Twitter basically anyone got any ideas who's 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 the next Robertson who's you know who's who should big teams pick up in the summer and it was just a bit of fun just a bit of interest and people came up with all sorts of names from around the league and it just goes to show that you know the it's um, players don't they're not always wildly obvious as to as to their quality when they're playing in inferior teams but sometimes you know there's there's a balance and a gamble that you can take on um, thinking like will they fit or can they you know can they fit into our system and well there's uh, certainly a sense that that Lamina could do like a serviceable job in in Tottenham's midfield hmm. um and and Hoiberg also looks like a guy that that could play elsewhere right dude's 23 do you know what I mean he's got he's yeah. <laughs> he's still young <laughs> Um, so along, <clears throat> along with all this, and that's, that's probably most of our interesting Premier League. Actually, no, there are two more, um, two mid table teams that we, we want to discuss a little bit. Uh, one who we thought wouldn't be very good at the beginning of the year and one who we actually talked about and we're like, you know, I think it seems like they're, they're doing way better than they normally do. And we, we flagged it up and then they had a, a terrible early run and it's not Fulham. Um, <laughs> but, but West Ham, Back-to-back-to-back wins, four wins in a row, up to ninth in the table, 24, so they're two goal difference behind Everton. Um, good manager, decent team, some some flair in that team that's fun to watch. Mm. Like, What do you think about West Ham? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, I like, I like, um, I like some, some of their signings in the summer, and... Uh, I wasn't necessarily convinced that Pellegrini was the was the the right choice. Feeling that he's slightly on the down curve and old, you know, older manager stuff. But then that's probably my ignorance and not thinking that, you know, not not respecting the man's pedigree, which to be honest is excellent. And um, yeah, they they had a tough start. A lot of lot of um, fixtures against the bigger teams and just didn't pick up points. Um, I think the first seven games were all against like teams that are now in the top half. And they he also had no midfield. <laughs> well, there's that maybe an aspect too, <laughs> and um, yeah, they've just they've just got their act together and uh, picking up wins against le- you know perceived lesser teams, and now kind of you know, sticking themselves right in the midst midst of things in in the middle of the table, and you can't see them going far wrong from here. I think they'll they'll probably end up like here if they have a not if they, if they kick on at all, then they're <laughs> then they're in that race for seven. <laughs> no doubt, and they haven't got a hard schedule coming up either. Watford, Southampton, West Ham, Brighton, uh, Arsenal, Bournemouth. Uh, oh, Arsenal! No, but anyway, so they've <laughs> they could easily you know continue this run across the Christmas period. And um, the difference between competence and incompetence is like 
20, 30 million in just end of season table revenue mm. in this league right now. It's massive. Yeah, and like <coughs> signing someone like Fabianski, you know, it was probably worth doing, pulling him out of Swansea. And um, Felipe Anderson, who's, you know, I think he got a little bit of stick early on, but has, you know, looks look their most talented player since, um, since Payet now in recent weeks and started chipping in with goals and stuff and was someone that we've talked about him before but someone that just looked like he could be worth a chance uh, from his seasons in Italy and you know finally West Ham went and got him and yeah it's just it's it's looking quite healthy there um, I'd be reasonably positive towards uh, the rest of their season to be honest how about Bournemouth though well, there we are. I mean, Bournemouth, Bournemouth have had the opposite. <laughs> the exact- They're only one point behind, obviously. They it's are. just like, when do you, we have these perceptions, and a lot of it is, is schedule, strength of schedule-based, which you know, we don't talk about a lot, but is deeply embedded in a lot of the gambling models and stuff like that. You know, if you're facing a tough early season, uh, you look like you're a much worse team than, than you probably are after 10 games. And if you face an easy early season, you probably look like a better team. Like Arsenal had one one time where they faced like the super easy beginning of the season. And then they, they hit the really bumpy parts. And you're like, no, they're really not title contenders, honest. But Bournemouth have, have had this back-end stretch that have been quite tough. And I think they've lost, what, seven of eight or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, six, six of seven. And it's been, seven. It's been mainly, mainly against the like, Man United, Arsenal, Man City. Uh, Liverpool and Wolves, who I consider a good team, have all beaten them recently. They also lost in Newcastle, and I Snuck, think that's it. Stuck some points at Hutter, uh, against Huddersfield. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's interesting. And Bournemouth have long learnt that you know you beat your rivals, and that that will that will do you proud. But you know, again, there's the, any excitement over like how how good is this team? And their numbers look good in in the early weeks. They really did. Um, but. It's, you know the schedule has just absolutely bitten them, and um, it doesn't seem to get much better for them anytime soon. They've got well, <laughs> they've got over Christmas they've got matches away at Tottenham and Man United, and then Brighton and Watford. But it's this is it. Bournemouth, if Bournemouth are like the eighth, tenth best team in the league, or eleventh, twelfth best team in the league, and they finish tenth, eleventh, or twelfth, brilliant. That's all you can ask for them. And we tried to get in touch about Ryan Fraser at one point, uh, so three years ago, I guess, when I was at, at Brentford, and he'd already been promised to, to Ipswich. Like, oh, he looks like he's going to be so good, and <laughs> yeah, he's he's sort of aged into his his promise. Um, somebody asked me about David Brooks to Arsenal, and I was like, hmm, I don't know, but it should be homegrown, so like that's pretty useful. It's interesting to hear about like the Chelsea stuff recently coming up and. Uh, obviously, the the FIFA loan stuff is going to bite them hard, and there are plenty of ways to work around it. But it still means you need to spend a lot of time and energy figuring out what to do with all those assets. But the next question was like, how do we make sure that we've got enough homegrown players so that we can field a, a full squad? Uh, right, uh, the yeah, the yeah. big clubs have that problem. I, I, you know, I don't want to see the Premier League change their uh, their structure because of the FA or anything like that. Like the Brexit stuff is potentially a huge nightmare. But you know, it is something that when you can choose from worldwide talent and you, every player that you buy basically costs enough so they could get uh, get a work permit, you still have to be very conscious of having enough homegrown players around so that you don't fall afoul of that. What a delightful way to bring this podcast to an end, Ted. The thoughts of Brexit as we move into the <laughs> as we move into 2019 and the, in, the future the for us it. and our children and <laughs> yeah. So uh, this, Thanks, James. this is going to be the last podcast of the year because uh, Christmas is coming and uh, yeah, our recording day is Christmas Day, I think. So and that's not going to happen, Ted. Um, so yeah, we'll probably be back in the. We will be back in New Year. Of course, we'll be back in the New Year. Anything you Anything you want to 
say, Ted, just to wind us out? No, I think it's been a it's been a good first half of the season. Uh, it looks like I'm going to end up paying out on that stupid bet, but it'll go to charity, so that'll be great. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I'm rooting for Liverpool so that I, I have to, so that it costs me money, which is kind of a funny thing to do. Um, yeah, I enjoy the the holiday period. Like, there's tons of football on. It's a nice break from your your family. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, just just to interrupt there quickly, the schedule <laughs> the schedule isn't fixed against your team. Believe me, <laughs> it happens every year. Somebody's got to have a little bit of a, a rough patch. I put that chart up, and the, the Tottenham Twitter's just gone wild about it. And uh, last season, Tottenham were top of that chart. They had the most breaks. So there you go. It, it them's the breaks anyway. <laughs> oh. Terrible. And on that note, have a happy holidays, everybody. Goodbye. Great.